Well, it's a real joy and privilege for me to be here, and I thank you so much for your your warm uh, invitation and welcome. Um, I should say that although I'm associated with the work of GLOW for these past 26 years now, um, we don't have any students this year at Tilsley College because of the COVID situation and, and Brexit, so I'm taking some, some time off uh, during uh, this year from, from the college. Um, but uh, it's a, a joy to be involved with the work of GLOW. I have been a Christian for 31 years, and I know what you're saying. That can't be possibly true, that young man up there. been a Christian for that long, but I have. Um, and for 26, 27 years, it's been my privilege to be associated with the work of GLOW. My wife and I, we have three children, Amy, Benjamin and Karis, who are all at an SU camp in Lendrick Muir at the minute, and I'm going up for a, a concert tonight um, in Lendrick Muir. ABC, Amy, Benjamin and Karis, so I remember which order they come in. And then my wife, Kim, and we, we both don't come from um, families who were particularly Christian, but the Lord in his grace and mercy saved us. And it's, a, it's been a long ambition of mine to preach here. And I'm going to tell you why. Um, just a few years back, I had the joy of sharing in your midweek service in the work of France, in France, because we ministered there for 10 years. Um, but it's been my, my, my ambition to come on a Sunday because the work of Hamilton Baptist has been quite instrumental in my life. As a young boy, as you sent over one of your members to start a Christian endeavour in North Motherwell Parish Church. And that is, has been part of my testimony and how the Lord has worked in my life. Some years after that, at the age of 18, the Lord in his grace and mercy saved me. Uh, but you played a role in it, in sending um, Alistair, who's I think just over on the right hand side there, um, over to North Motherwell Parish Church. And the influence of Christian endeavour in my life um, cannot be over or underestimated in any way. So thank you. Let's turn to the Word of God as it's found in Luke chapter 18. I commend you for a number of things. I commend you for the fact that you have no clock here, so you obviously trust um, the preachers and, and teachers in this church. Um, uh, I was speaking in a, a, a church weekend in the east of, of England uh, one time, and there was no clock, and then by the time I took my second uh, session, two people offered me their watches, and then by the time the fifth session ended, I had a whole plethora of watches on, on the lectern, so, um, but I have my, my phone here, so I trust that we'll keep the time. We're going to read a shocking story, a shocking story in the Word of God. Maybe, maybe you're not shocked anymore by what you see on your televisions or what you read in your newspapers, but Jesus, when he told the parables, they were shocking. And I want to read a shocking one to you in Luke chapter 18, reading from verse 9. This is the Word of God. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance 
He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. And may God bless his word to us. One of the classes that I teach in Tilsley College is the class on biblical interpretation and my students constantly hear me say context, context, context. Read the context of the verses in which you're, you're, you're reading and here we have two, a, a very clear context in which this parable was given in the first verse that we've read. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. Simply put, those who were confident of their own self-rightness before God and also compared themselves to others. And Jesus is about to let these people know that these are two traits which they should not boast about. Rather, they should repent of them In actual fact, these two characteristics or these two traits that we read here of these people were in direct violation of the two most important commands. In being self-righteous, they were despising their need for God. And so therefore, they weren't loving the Lord, their God, with all their heart, all their soul, and all their mind. And secondly, in looking down in others, they were not loving their neighbor in the way that they ought to love their neighbor. And so let's have a look at this this parable together, keeping firmly in our minds who Jesus is telling this parable to. So Jesus introduces us to two men who were on their way up to the temple to pray. Up to this point, there is nothing to shock us. People often went to the temple to pray. The temple, which was situated at the highest point of the the, the city, and you can still visit the site of it today, um, and they would have gone up the stairs towards the the temple. And it's quite symbolic that they, 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 they go up to the temple. And we can see that today in some of the older religious buildings that we have around where they're often situated in a high point. And so it was quite symbolic that they went up to pray. We've just finished a series on the Psalms of Ascent in our our church in UK Community Church in in Motherwell. And uh, the Psalms of Ascent were intended uh, as the hymn book of, of those pilgrims on their way towards Jerusalem, making their way towards this, the, the city, making their way towards the temple at those times of feast. And in Psalm 121, we read this, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help doesn't come from the hills themselves. Rather, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so these men probably went up along with many others to pray. That's not shocking. Even today, it's not shocking. For people to come together to pray surely. The crowd would have known exactly what these two men were like however. A Pharisee, now we have a problem right at the outset with our understanding of Pharisees for if you're a Christian today and you've read your Bible for any length of time we think of Pharisees in the light of what Jesus said about Pharisees. 
Because we've read our Bible, we've read, we've read the Gospels. However, they were not being viewed that way by the normal Jew of the first century. They were known as a strict religious group who tried to obey the law of Moses and in so doing tried to please God in every way. These men were not necessarily from the higher classes of society. That was often reserved for the Sadducees, but not from the higher classes of society, but rather they had day jobs and they served in the community, a lot of them. They were guardians of the tradition of observing and interpreting the law. These were known as religious guys, religious men. However, here comes the shock, the disgust, as the crowd are introduced to the next man climbing the steps, a tax collector. There would have been gasps from the audience when Jesus said these words. A tax collector. Now, we must not equate that with the inland revenue today. We know that. And apologies for anyone who works for the inland revenue. Um, But they were somewhat different all those years ago. They were Roman collaborators. In fact, Rome, in order to get the taxes, would, would sell these franchises to the highest bidder. And quite often, quite often, there, was, there were people getting cuts. And so if Rome asked for £10, well, it wouldn't have been pounds, but you know what I mean, €10, Euros perhaps, €10, Euros, the tax collectors would ch- charge €18 or €19 Euros or €20. Euros. They would be fleecing their own people. And so therefore, they were hated. They were extorting Um, money from from the people and they were seen as lovers of Rome and Roman collaborators and so Jesus describes what happens when they both arrive at the temple area and just like the contrast of these men was eye-opening as they make their way up the steps towards the temple area what Jesus has to say about them concerning them is shocking Now, before we say anything about the differences of these men, let's just look at the similarities. They both went up to the temple. That's good. It's good to go to religious places, to to a church, and you've done well to come to church today. It's good to do that. It's good to go to the the temple. Nothing wrong with that. They both stood. Nothing fundamentally wrong with this. Most did stand when they prayed. They both prayed. Obviously no problem with praying. They both address God in the same way. And we're even told that they both went home to their respective homes. However, that's where the similarities stop. For the differences between them resulted in one being accepted by God and one being rejected. And he stood up and prayed about himself. In the English Standard Version it says, Standing by himself he prayed. In the King James Version, it prayed, thus with himself. Now, whether he prayed about, by, or with is neither here nor there. We'll leave that for the the students up the road. You get the mental picture in your head that it's all about him. He, He no doubt got a space to himself and stood there so that all could see. Standing near the front, standing with his held head high, And it was all for show. The tax collector, however, look where he is. If you look at the scriptures, he's standing at a distance. He daren't approach any closer. 
he is almost cowering as he doesn't even dare look up to heaven. He knows that there are many people there that have judgmental fingers pointing at him. As they pray, they've got one eye on him. He no doubt will catch a glimpse of some of them shaking their heads in disgust, moving away from him. Don't you know that you're unclean? Don't you know you have no place here? Don't you know this is a holy place? This isn't for the likes of you. How dare you even attempt to get into God's presence? However, this not looking up has little to do with the people around him. He already gets those looks in the street. He is not looking up to heaven. You see that from the scripture? He's ashamed of himself before God. He didn't even attempt to go any further into God's presence. Stays at a distance. He knows exactly who he is. And people around him are right. He is good for nothing. He knows it. He knows that he is the lowest of the low. He just sneaks in at the back barely in the temple area and the Pharisee who walks to the front is in direct contrast with this man. You see the Pharisee typified the kind of prayer Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 6 and when you pray do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you they have received their reward in full. Listen we can hide nothing from God. One of the things that I had to do when I arrived in France, when we were working with missionaries in France for for 10 years, was I arrived at the church and I said, well, what do you want me to do? And and, and the elders got together and said, what we want you to do, Gary, is you and Kim, if you could just go and clean out the nursery, the creche. And I thought, "That's, that's, that's not why I left. Not why I left Motherwell to come to Marseille, the south of France, to clean out a nursery. And as I I was cleaning out this nursery, I realised I was learning a lesson that the person of God, the man, the woman of God, needs to know humility before God. And as I swept up that, that uh, creche, there was this carpet, there was tiles, and there was just this carpet here, and I thought, all this rubbish. And we were in a rush to get back home, and, and I thought, if I just sweep all this rubbish underneath the carpet, no, no one will know, because the bin had already been taken out. And as I lifted the carpet, I realized, I realized there that I wasn't the only one who had lifted the carpet. There was jam and chocolate and butter and all gooey stuff, and all the dust was all stuck to it and whatever, and I had a choice to make at that point. I looked firstly at the rota, and I realized that there were elders on before me, and I thought, they must have done this. (laughs) But I had a choice either to clean it or to fold it back over. I'll not tell you what I did, but that's what God does in our lives. He sees right into our lives. The heart, he knows the heart, and that's why the Pharisees hated Jesus, because he knew they were hypocrites. It doesn't surprise you to see the focus of the Pharisee's prayer, does it? It's all about himself, me, myself, and I. He has a a threefold trust in God. And I want you just to notice it. It His threefold trust. Firstly, he thanks God for all the sins that he has not committed. 
I mean, think about it for a moment. Thank you, God, that I am not a robber, an evildoer, or an adulterer. I mean, should we commend people for this? For things that they don't do? Are they not part of the standards for God's people or for God's creatures? You see, what he is doing here is focusing upon negative obedience. You try that the next time a policeman stops you. When you run a red light, I know no one here ever runs a red light. You run a red light and the policeman stops you and he said, you run that red light. He said, but I'm wait- but wait a minute, I'm wearing my seatbelt. He says, that doesn't matter. You've run a red light. You see, this Pharisee is telling the Lord all the things that he's not done. The second thing we see is that he trusts, he trusts in comparing himself with others. Now, this is classic. This is a parable which is bang up to date. When I used to do door-to-door work with the students in another life almost now, 20, 20 years ago, we would knock on the door and quite often people would tell me the things that they've not done or the things that they do. This parable is bang up to date. Oh, you want to go and visit the neighbor down the road? He's awful. This is bang up to date. You see, and I don't want to offend anyone here, but the tax collectors were seen as scum. And to be quite honest, comparing yourself with the lowest of the low is not much of a standard, does it? You will always find someone that's worse than you. Even in Motherwell or Hamilton. You will always find, and then you see the climax of his prayer. He tells God just how religious he is. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. Now, this is quite something here. He's in the temple area, the very presence of God, the area. God's character had been revealed through the people, through the law and the prophets, and the Pharisees knew that God was holy. However, many of them understood this a sin which was actually physically practiced. Quite incredible here. I mean, if this guy is telling the truth, what he he does is irreproachable. Fasting twice a week, more than was required. You see, this Pharisee was keen that everyone knew just how spiritual he was. Now, we have a a recorded comment from a rabbi outside of biblical literature, which which reveals there's something of the heart and the attitude of these kind of men. And I quote, he wrote this, If there are only two righteous men in the world, I and my son are these two. If there is only one righteous in the world, I am he. He also gives a tenth of all he can get. And this Pharisee bases his righteousness, his being seen right, in God's eyes, over obedience to the law, a strict obedience of the law, down to the point where he gives a tenth of all his herbs. And if you look at it, he, his trust is in what he does not do, who he is not like, and his over-top observance of the law. But let's have a look at this tax collector briefly for a few minutes. We have already mentioned his positioning within the temple area. And the fact that he did not look up, but he did one other thing. So before we look at what he prayed, what did he do? Verse 13, he beat his breast. And there is another place where we read this phrase and this wording in the New Testament. 
And it's found in Luke chapter 23, verse 48. Two verses previous, Jesus has just breathed his last after saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And there we have the centurion in verse 47 of chapter 23. When he saw what had happened, he said, surely this was a righteous man. And in verse 48, we have this term again. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breast and they went away. It was a practice for deep sorrow, sadness. People who were really distraught. I mean, the fact that, there is, that it's only at the cross and at Jesus' death that we see this kind of reaction is something that we must take into consideration to try to understand this. And so he addresses God and he says, have mercy on me, a sinner. Better translated, have mercy on me, the sinner. For unlike the Pharisee who looks around, this man doesn't. He doesn't even look up. This man, from the depths of his being, his heart, he cries out and he gives no excuse whatsoever. Have mercy on me, the sinner. He compares himself with no one. He doesn't even attempt to compare himself with other tax collectors. I think I might have done that, you know. The other tax collectors who hadn't even made the effort to get to the temple, at least he has dragged himself out of his bed and got himself up those steps while his, his colleagues are either still in their bed or still fleecing people. No. This parable challenges us. And Paul's words, the Apostle Paul's words, challenge us too, as he wrote as an older man to a younger man. Here is a trustworthy saying, Timothy which deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. That's how we do business with God's friends. We, we don't compare ourselves with anyone. Listen, we'll always find people better than us and worse than us, humanly speaking. We come to God and we say, I am the sinner. I am the one who has not loved you with all my heart, all my soul, and with all my mind. And I need you. I need you to forgive me. I need help, Lord. I can't do this on my own. And maybe, I don't know, I don't know you, I know one or two of you, but maybe you, you, you come to church and you're relying upon what you've done for God, for God to see you and say, that's good, you're accepted. Oh, I'm much better than my neighbor. No, we come to God by saying, we are sinners. I am the sinner. You see, God expects perfection from us. Perfection. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, you don't know me very well, but you know enough of me to know that I'm not perfect. And we are not perfect in God's, in, in God's eyes unless we come to him through Jesus. You see, that's what the Pharisee hasn't quite worked out. Just a few verses um, that one of the things that we can overlook when we read this passage involves the idea of having mercy on this, this ta tax collector. And just a few verses on in this passage, we have someone else crying out for mercy 
For from verse from verse thirty five we have we're introduced to a beggar sitting by the roadside and Jesus passes by and he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now in the in the Bible that I read and indeed in most translations the same word is used. However, there are two different words in the original here. And a little bit of study reveals to us another instance where this word translated have mercy on in our passage in verse 13 is used and you might be be surprised by where it's found. It's found in Romans chapter 3 verse 25 when we read these words. Let's read halfway through verse 22 for context. Romans 3 verse 22 for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And here it is, verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, it's the idea of the atonement. It's the idea of propitiation. It's the idea of conciliation, of appeasement, of satisfying. It's the idea of applying all of that, making amends or reparation for the wrongs committed. It's the idea of asking that a sacrifice the sacrifice might bring about reconciliation of God and man. And what he is saying here is, God, would you apply your reconciliation, the atonement for me, the sacrifice for me? Now, why is this man saying this at the temple? What happened at the temple? Sacrifices were offered. And they were offered on the altar. And following the sacrifices, incense would be burned, which symbolized prayer. And prayer was encouraged because after the sacrifice, the way to God was open. Because appeasement had been offered, atonement had been made, because the righting of wrong had been offered. And worship of God was possible. And prayer was encouraged after this. And the worship of God was encouraged after this. That was to be the reason for people going to the temple. It was the place where sinners could find mercy. Where sinners could find grace. Where sinners could find forgiveness of sin. These sacrifices themselves would have been crying out. Only God can forgive sin. What I need from you, Lord, is that you mercifully appease your anger because of my sin. And brothers and sisters, that's why Jesus went to Calvary. In order that God's anger would be turned away from us, yes, and his grace and mercy bestowed upon us. This tax collector understood that sin was serious and that it had to be dealt with. And what is amazing for us is there is no longer a need for sacrifice and a temple on a hill. For we have Christ and his work of perfect sacrifice 
For we read in Hebrews chapter 10, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down. His work was finished. Sat down at the right hand of God. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's you and me. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to this to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after these days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless acts no more. And where they have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Jesus Christ died on a cross for my sin 2,000 years ago outside the city walls of Jerusalem. And I praise him all these years later that he took upon himself my sin and your sin and because of his understanding this man went home justified God's work of satisfying his own perfect and holy person and so Jesus finishes with a principle a general principle which he said on a few occasions no doubt for we have it recorded for us again in chapter 14 He finishes with these words, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This parable is really all about the fact that there are two religions in the world. One that says, I can please God in my own strength. And the other that abandons themselves to the grace and the mercy of God. As I finish, I thought of the little town of Bethlehem when I was preparing this which I have visited a couple of times in my life now the town itself is a little bit of a letdown if you've been and the church of nativity with all its religiosity really leaves me cold however in order to get into that church which represents the place where Jesus was born there is a door probably about five foot high And various reasons are given for its size. But it's called the door of humility. And you must stoop to enter. And I think this is symbolic as we approach God. We must stoop. Not necessarily physically, but fully, wholly, our entire being. Stoop, bow before Christ. This parable teaches me that the only way to God is through sacrifice. And through Jesus, we know that is possible. Let's pray, shall we? Father, take your word, I pray, and use it for your honor and glory. We pray that the eternal truth of your word would melt into our hearts so that we might serve you and might not sin against you. In Jesus' name, amen.